0: Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes. So let me tell you what it is it's fitness coaching and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is Mind, Body, Spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation! Wow, today we have a story. We have a story. We have a man with a story, and we're going to be talking about abuse today, abusive relationships. Uh, JD's story is, to me, one of a kind, but unfortunately, uh, there is a lot more in common than you are going to find uncommon.
1: So, JD McCabe, author of *The Third Gift*, welcome to the show, Travis. Thank you very much. I I appreciate you sharing your platform with me. I really, really do. And your, your story is inspirational in and of itself. So I know we all face pain and adversity in all different shapes and forms. And I think it's what what you try to do with it. Uh, that is that is the most important thing after you get 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 to the other side of things. So.
0: Yeah, you know, the adversity can become our advantage later on if we can overcome. So, uh, you know, I'm really excited today to to just kind of unpack your story with our audience. And, you know, even the title of the book, The Third Gift, you know, I'm very, very interested in how it became titled. Uh, so, you know, wherever that fits in, but uh, maybe we can uh, go back to a little bit about where the where the book begins and, you know, where your story begins.
1: Sure. And and I'd be happy to address the title up front. My, my, my son actually helped me with it. Um, So the the first two gifts, the first two gifts are my kids. Mm -hmm. And the third gift is a revelation that my now ex-wife made. Once we had separated, Uh, we were happily married as I can define happiness back then, I see happiness differently now, right? You got a different lens, different perspective. But as I saw it back then, we were happy, marriage was stable, and then the wheels began to come off. But I, I had no idea exactly why. So we had very tumultuous story leading up to our separation. I spent nine days in a psychiatric facility. I would ultimately later discover that I survived arsenic poisoning. She was poisoning me with arsenic, was putting it in my protein powder, I believe. Um, so that was all prior to us separating. I didn't figure out the arsenic piece until after we separated. But the third gift was a revelation that she made through the attorneys. I was in one room with my attorney. She's in another room and there's an attorney going back and forth. And the third gift was when she made the accusation that I gave her sexually transmitted herpes. Oh, wow. So I am in, I am in the pharmaceutical medical field. I've been in it for 30 plus years. And when that attorney dropped that lab test on the table, I knew exactly what it was. It was a DNA test that was positive for, you know, some swabs of some lesions and it's hundred percent accurate. So it was at that point that my first thought was, dear God, please let me, let me be negative. Um, Cause prior to us separating, we had been together, you know, three nights in a row when we hadn't been together in four months so I am certain she thought she had infected me and that's the only reason she you know revealed that card but I call it a gift and I'm not being funny with it because people obviously refer to herpes as the gift that keeps on giving
0: uh-huh. but,
1: uh, but um, it, it once she made that accusation my first thought my first concern was let's test negative okay I did test negative and it gets a little more convoluted and that's all all laid out in the book but um immediately I went into our insurance company's website. I had no idea what I had access to. Um, I had no idea that I had access to five years of her medical claims and five years of her pharmacy claims. And I spent hours and hours and hours ultimately building out spreadsheets, trying to map out what the hell she was up to. And as it would turn out, my first discovery that I made was that she had a hidden prescription drug addiction. Mm -hmm. She was uh, addicted to three different formulations of amphetamines. Uh, Adderall, Adderall XR, Ritalin LA, which is a long acting form of of an amphetamine, benzodiazepines, mood stabilizers. And I also would uncover that uh, she pretty much had every STD out there based on the medications and based on some of the physicians that she was seeing. So as far as I could tell, it was a pattern going back at least five or six years of a hidden prescription drug addiction and massive infidelity on her part. Everything that she was doing, she beat me into the ground with, she accused me of doing. It's a classic example of projection, classic example of gaslighting. um, And that's what ultimately uh, would push me into a psychiatric facility for nine days, um, seven months, six, seven months prior to us separating. So again, her accusations were that I was doing drugs, there was infidelity. She turned my daughter against me for a couple of years. She began telling stories to family and friends behind my back that I had anger issues, mood issues. I believe he's doing drugs. I know he's cheating on me. So through that little revelation of the, of the third gift, I would also discover, you know, as we headed towards our alimony trial, I would discover that she set me up for the involuntary commitment. Not only did she hollow me out as a man, um, but she also was writing letters behind my back to the physicians that ultimately led to an involuntary commitment across two different psychiatric facilities with a police transport in between the two facilities. So she had a very evil and calculated plan. And all of that took place prior to me discovering, you know, the arsenic poisoning. So so uh, let me uh, you
0: know, first, sure. I guess. Uh, how
1: long were you married? How many years were you married? Seventeen good years, and then I would say on paper, ultimately was twenty-three. Yeah, seventeen years. So seventeen
0: years of marriage, and you didn't even know that she was taking these, uh, you know, prescription amphetamine prescriptions.
1: No, and and there's there's another situation that because a lot of people have said, you know, certainly when you put this out there on social media, you open yourself up to a lot of support. But you open yourself up to an awful lot of criticism, right? Especially being a guy coming forward.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many times
1: I don't know how many times I've been told to man up on social media. You know, grow up, man up, whatever. But anyhow, I take it I take it with a grain of salt. But the other complicated factor that we have, which I talk about in the book, is that early in our marriage, about six, seven years in, she she started complaining of certain medical symptoms and what have you, and ultimately. She would come to believe that she had an autoimmune disease. Okay. And so I walked with her through that entire journey for 15, 16 years that she would see specialist after specialist after specialist. And I never, um, never questioned her, never asked to see, you know, medical records or anything. I do recall very vividly, you know, later in our marriage, her mother would come to me and say, Does she want something to be wrong with her? As it turns out, she does because as we headed towards our alimony trial, their story was going to be that she was so sick, she had so many health problems, she'll never be able to really work full time. And he's going to need to support her for, you know, give her 17 years worth of alimony and do all sorts of stuff for her financially. So we certainly, you know, we certainly subpoenaed all her medical records. And there was a prominent clinic down in Florida that she went and saw twice. Our kids were younger then, so I stayed home with the kids. And once we got those medical records, Travis, it said in there, she does not have an autoimmune disease. Wow. And if she does, she has a very rare form. And I remember her coming back from there. I wanted her to get answers to a lot of the health issues that she was having and it turns out that a lot of them are more than likely, most of them were related to the medication she was taking that I had no idea she was taking, especially the amphetamines. I mean, the cardiac issues when I would go with her to see cardiologist after cardiologist and she had some pretty invasive procedures done. She never, ever mentioned, Oh, by the way, I'm taking three different formulations of amphetamines, right? No wonder right. my heart rate is up. No wonder my blood pressure is all over the place, you know?
0: And that's, uh, I guess, you know, I was curious one, of course, about these medications and maybe how long she was on them, because as you've stepped back and I know your wife's name, your ex-wife's name was Aaron and right. uh, you and Aaron got married on a, a foundation of trust and, you know, a belief in something good. And, and uh, what, as you've stepped back and analyzed and said, you know, where did it go so wrong that I would have a wife that was putting arsenic in my protein powder uh, you know, all the infidelity, uh, you know, attempting to give you an STD. Like, do you, uh, obviously you've questioned her stability of mind. I mean, people that are, you know, of stable mind, you know, they don't yeah. do these things, you know, they don't try to kill their spouse. So w- what do you think when you analyze it? Uh, I mean, it, did you, was she that way when you met and you think you were just fooled? Uh, do you think no. means got her and that she became unstable? Uh, you know, what do you think it was that-
1: uh, I- yeah, and I, 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 that's a great question, and, and, I, and I talk about it in a book, and that, that, that's why it's also, people don't realize that, that it truly was a gift, because had she never made that revelation, I would never have looked at the medical claims and pharmacy claims. I, I didn't even know what I had access to. Pleasantly surprised that I had access to it. I don't know where I would be today emotionally. I don't know where my relationship with my kids would be, which it's, it's outstanding. It's strong as strong it, as it can be between a father and a son and a father and a daughter, but uh, my theory is, it's her, and again, it gets even more complicated with her childhood. Her father came out of the closet when she was two, and he accept, accepted his homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Her parents divorced up until up until her first marriage. That's the other. I, that's probably the first big red flag that I missed was that when I met her, she had been previously married allegedly never moved in with a guy. They were only married eight weeks. It would later get annulled. Her mother and her grandmother supported her story, so I didn't dig any further into it. But she had a very good relationship with her father um, right up until her first marriage fell apart. When I started dating her, she was estranged. And even for the first seven years of our marriage, she was estranged from her father only reconnected with her father through the innocence of our son who said, you know, at five or six, he says, mom, why don't you just call him? And she did. And they reconnected for five years. I would describe it. I supported it. I was certainly concerned that I didn't want her to get hurt again, but now I see it differently that, you know, she probably hurt her father. I believe she, she probably cheated on her first husband as well. Don't know that for a fact. Um, But she had to make the difficult decision to terminate her father's life. He had a massive heart attack and she had to make that decision. And then a couple of years later, his life partner died at a relatively young age. And I think guilt got to her. I think guilt can be a very toxic emotion. And I believe that's I'm certain that that's when she began to go off the rails. And that time frame lines up very nicely when she began to you know, take these medications behind my back but a lot of the signs and the symptoms and things that i would see that were going on with her mentally and physically i simply chalked up to her alleged autoimmune disease mm-hmm. and being in the medical pharmaceutical field i had access to neurologists and things that i could talk to privately and they're like yeah you know an autoimmune disease can attack every organ system in your body including your mind and you can start experiencing paranoia and delusions and that's indeed what I started to see. And of course, I now know that was driven by her amphetamine abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the other part of the gift piece of the title is that I'm now sitting here with a sense of clarity. You know, I've been able to restore my identity and, uh, and, you know, as as a man and as a father and and to know that um, the demise of the marriage was not my fault. You know, Uh, I was fooled. I was fooled. And And I was fooled by a very manipulative, calculating, evil individual.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've been through a lot and, you know, I'm sure that there are probably people listening right now and, and I'm sorry for you if this is your situation that may have gone through some sort of abuse or might be currently in some sort of abusive situation. So I'd like to talk a little bit if we could about projecting, which I'm sure that you've learned a lot about and, uh, And you know, quite often, really, in my past experience, it's been more often. Oh, uh, you know, some man is so you know worried about his wife cheating on him because he's out cheating on the weekends, right, or something like that. You know, um, that happens a lot. I, I've seen it and I've probably known it firsthand because it might be somebody that I know what they do on their weekends, and and then they're so uh, oh controlling, you know, when I, when it comes to their wife. So. In your case, uh, you know, can we talk a little bit about, you know, how you later came to see some of the things that she was doing as projecting and just maybe talk about like a couple examples of that, because maybe it'll help shed some light on someone else's situation that's listening right now, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, if I could, I'd like to say also the the, the, bi- the biggest mistake that I made early on, and, and, and I don't think it's a male thing, maybe it is, but is I, I kept myself on an island. I mm-hmm. have a... I come from a large extended family. I've got five brothers, three sisters. I have a nice professional network. I had a nice network of friends. But when all this stuff started going down, I kept it to myself. Uh, it had nothing to do with pride, but I was trying to figure out what, what the hell is going on here. You know, Why is she accusing me of cheating on her? And, and that should have been my first red flag to go, let me see your phone. Let me see your emails. Perhaps you're the one that's doing that. I didn't get that in my gut until the night before our first mediation. But I, I think the, the, the biggest aha around the projection was the herpes test being dropped on the table. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, God, God clearly intervened, but I'm like, okay. She's been out running around on me. She definitively has herpes and she has been beating me into the ground about cheating on her off and on for the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. started out very subtly and then it intensified really in the spring of 2014 when her mother got involved. Mm-hmm. And thus, the title, my dance subtitle, My Dance of the Devil and Her Mother. Yeah. Her yeah. mother, who I loved unconditionally, um, never had a cross word with, boy, she turned on me like a cobra and on a beach trip in June of 2014 threatened to kill me, you know, suggested that, you know, she looked at me dead in the eye and said, perhaps you're addicted to porn. Perhaps you're addicted to drugs. If you put your hands on my daughter, I will kill you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, where is this coming from? The interesting thing about that, Travis, is that her brother, she only has one sibling. Her brother was on this beach trip with us. He was not involved in the conversation. He never said anything to me. I did go to him later that night as we're cooking out and I I wanted him to know that I've never cheated on your sister I've never done anything inappropriate
0: yeah you know he
1: but he never even addressed the alleged fear that she had of me so either I think I, I think now clarity is you know is it's everything's far clearer now but I think her mother knew exactly what she was dealing with and uh and whatever demons she had inside her, she kept at bay for 17 years. And her mother did what she felt that she had to do to support her daughter to make sure that she was going to be, you know, financially taken care of or something. But I, I think she recognized what 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 issues her daughter had. But uh, the projection piece, it, it shone brightly when she made that accusation of, you know, that I gave her herpes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just something for the listeners, you know, Overcomer Nation, if you're going through something right now and, you know, you're consistently being accused of things that you didn't do, um, you know, could it be that the accuser is actually the one with the uh, problem, right? The projection, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and, my, and my
1: brother came to me, you know, once once I got out of the psychiatric facility, I stayed. And that's when people started getting involved. Thank God a couple of my brothers got involved that came to town, even though I told them, ah, we're, I'm good, don't come to town. But they came. But he said to me, he said, do you you think she's possibly cheating on you? And of course, I said, nah. And I said, no, because now when I later discover all of her pill combinations, she she was in bed at 8, 8, 8, 830 at night, most nights, Mm -hmm. sound asleep from the uppers and the downers and the sleeping pills. And I don't know how she's still alive today, but she is somehow.
0: Yeah, I know you talked about this uh, in the book, but, you know, I mean, if you could just share a little bit with us about... um how you came to be involuntarily um, admitted into the psychiatric. I mean, that's, uh, you know, whatever you'll share right now, I definitely encourage everybody to go and read the book because, you know, it's going to be a real page turner and you're going to get a lot more than you'll get in this episode. But, you know, I mean, that that's a serious thing to get somebody involuntarily committed into a psychiatric ward. So- and it
1: happened, it happened pretty easily. It happened real easily. So in the spring of 2014, um, I started working out. My son uh, is 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 big into fitness. I was two fifty five in the book. I say I was two twenty five. I was generous with myself, <laughs> but, as, but as I look at pictures now, I was I was well over two fifty. And in the spring, I started working out, just lifting weights three times a week, nothing intense, you know, one hour, three times a week. I switched from Coke to Diet Coke, and in less than six weeks, Travis, I lost thirty pounds.
0: Wow. And then it was
1: 30. Then it was 35. Then it was 40. Then it was 45. And I started getting tingling in my fingers and toes and started having intestinal issues and joint pain and dizzy spells and difficulty swallowing. And it's this whole time that, and that of course, only fed into her story with her mother and whoever that he's cheating on me. Look at him. He's getting in shape. He's losing weight. He's starting to look better. Um, and so I started to see our family practitioner when I started having these symptoms and my blood work was way off. I had white blood cell counts that were elevated. I had liver enzymes that were through the roof. Uh, another enzyme, which given your, your fitness background, I'm sure you're familiar with CPK, right? Creatinine phosphokinase. Yep. It was significantly elevated. Um, and ultimately I would be evaluated for leukemia, Luke Gehrig's early onset of, um, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's they couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I'm seeing this family practitioner throughout all of this. At the same time, I'm doing everything I can to hold on to our marriage. She's accusing me of being moody and doing this and doing this like I said I'll go see a psychiatrist. I'll be happy to go talk to somebody. And she came with me and in less than, a, less than 30 minutes we basically filled out a subjective questionnaire. She filled out all 10 boxes on the bipolar 2 questionnaire. I filled out maybe 5 or 6, checked them that yeah. I'm, you know, of course you're going to be you're gonna, you're going to be moody in your own, own home, you're going to be irritated and agitated because you're constantly getting accusations now at this point, not only from her, but from her mother, and my daughter began to turn against me. She was 15 at the time and whatever mom was telling her, she was beginning to believe. Um, And then ultimately, when my daughter would move back, would move in with me later down the road, my favorite chapter in the book, um, you know, she would start telling me some of the things that her mother was, was telling her about me. But anyhow, I'm seeing this family practitioner trying to get this all figured out. It's September of 2014. It's after our lovely beach trip when her mother, you know, threatened to kill me. And I go to see him for a follow up just for the weight loss and all that stuff. And. Two days prior to that appointment, she had called the cops on me because I had been misdiagnosed with bipolar two. The psychiatrist at the time said, you know, no alcohol. That's only going to make things worse. We had been constantly fighting. She went, to see a, went out to dinner with a girlfriend and I had three or four beers over the course of four or five hours. I wasn't intoxicated. She came home and smelled the beer on my breath and just seized that opportunity to, to call the cops. So she wow. called the cops, on, called the cops on me that night. I explained to the cops, I'll never forget it. I explained to the cops that I'm concerned about her because of her autoimmune disease that I'm seeing all sorts of paranoia, delusions, all sorts of delusional accusations against me. And um, so she called the cops the next day. She never came home that night, spent the night at a hotel. Our daughter had been gone that weekend because she got used to being away from the house, didn't want to deal with the drama. I don't blame her. She was at a girlfriend's. So that early the next morning, I drove down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, our son was in college. I wanted to see him. I wanted to have a, a man-to-man conversation. I didn't want to lose him too. I'm like, I have lost my daughter. He needs to hear directly from me what's going on. I get back from there and we start talking about the idea of separation And at that point, I reluctantly agreed. I'm like, sure. I said, well, I agree that we'll separate. But as long as you can answer this one question, if I agree to separate, is it please tell me there's a chance that we can continue with therapy and perhaps reconcile? And she never, ever answered that question. Mm -hmm. And so I go to this family practitioner that Monday. She goes with me. She tells him about the events of the weekend, the cops being called, us possibly. Separating. He's got his back to me and he says, Well, if you separate, what are you going to do? How's it going to make you feel? I said, I don't know how that's going to make me feel and I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. He comes back with a little white piece of paper and says, Well, if you don't go to this particular psychiatric facility, I'll have you involuntarily committed. Wow. Just that easy. Wow. And so I went to the dedicated psych hospital he wanted me to go to. I show up there, hand him my little piece of paper through the window. And the guy says to me, it's an eight to 10 hour wait, grab a seat. I mean, the lobby was packed.
0: Wow. And I'm, and, like, uh, I'm like, I'm like, not was... staying here.
1: Yeah. Oh, so you didn't leave? Uh, you didn't stay? We left. And I'm again, being in the medical field, I knew of an acute care hospital that had a psychiatric facility. I said, I'm going to go there. I don't mm-hmm. want the cops picking me up. Right. So I went there and ironically, I pretty much stayed in an ER bed for three days. I never saw a a psychiatric healthcare professional. I saw one upon admission through the emergency department. Didn't see a psychiatrist throughout my entire stay, even though I asked to see one because I wanted to get out. I wanted to figure, I wanted to be discharged and the cops show up on a Wednesday afternoon to pick me up. I said, what are you guys doing here? Mm -hmm. And they're like, we're here to transport you to, you know, this dedicated psych hospital, the place that I tried to avoid. So I'd end up, I'd end up spending six days there, but, Again, people don't believe it, but that's exactly how it happened. And I would later discover as we subpoenaed my medical, I didn't need to subpoena them, but as I got my medical records and we subpoenaed hers, she was writing letters behind my back two to eight. When I was down in Charlotte, North Carolina, seeing my son, she's busy writing letters to the psychiatrist and to the family practitioner, letting them know she thinks I'm doing drugs, that my moods at home aren't any better. My daughter fears for her safety. I mean, they're long rambling letters at times incoherent, but th- those exact letters are in the book verbatim. I didn't, I didn't even edit them. You know, we let, we let them, let them show up exactly as they were written. Wow. So she was, she was setting me up essentially set me up for that stay because, and again, it, it fed her story because the story she started to tell family and friends and certainly her mother and whatever is that, yeah, he's controlling, he's abusive He's got anger outbursts. My daughter fears for her safety. I fear for my safety at times. I mean, none of it was founded at all. But she was building what they call her, you know, network of neg- negative advocates. Yeah. And wow. again, that's, so that's why the herpes piece is such a gift, because I wouldn't have discovered her drug addiction. I wouldn't have discovered all the infidelity. I certainly had she not made that revelation. We wouldn't. I would not have fought alimony in court. And the only reason we went on that journey and I spent and destroyed my retirement fund is because in the state of North Carolina, if there's proof of infidelity, there is no alimony. And we had, we had rock solid proof. We had DNA evidence that she indeed had contracted herpes and I would test negative.
0: Wow. You know, the thing that I keep thinking about, J.D., is just how vulnerable you have to be in order to share all this. And, and you know, I, I share from the stage, I share on this podcast, I, I share in different places, a book that I've written, a couple different books. I've shared my past, which I'm not proud of. I, I've shared the mistakes, you know, in, in your past, you're a victim. So, I mean, it's not about so much. Uh, being uh, ashamed of a certain mistake you made, like me, but I, I just, I chosen, I've chosen to be vulnerable because of what I think it might do for my, for other people, and I know that that's your purpose in sharing your book. In fact, it says that you uh, you want people going through similar situations to believe in themselves. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, would you like to say any, speak to that right now, as far as for your purpose in writing this book and and sharing so many situations that uh, they hurt your heart and it's uh it's just horrible what you've been through
1: yeah yeah well yeah and and i want to say this too that so you talk about your mistakes but there were mistakes i made too right so Mm -hmm. so i mean i should have done some things differently i should have looked at her phone i should have questioned her and i've got a little tattoo right on my chest uh it says believe in you because i truly i was a stranger in my own home you know, I didn't know, especially when I came out of the psychiatric facility, I wasn't, I wasn't sure which end was up. I'm like, how did we get here? What, you know, you're, you've been, you've been blessed to be successful as a, in, in the world of business and in your career. And how did we end up here? I mean, but I, I, I allowed her to take my identity as to who I was. And as to the fact that I was a good husband, I was a good father. I was a good man. I am a good man. I was a good provider, but when you start losing sight of that, um, that's when they get you. You know, they say, and I believe it, the devil attacks your strength and turns it into a weakness. And my strength had always been and always will be my family. I mean, the thought of my family falling apart and the thought of living separate from my kids is what damn near killed me and certainly, you know, was the final Piece that she had to hollow out for me, you know, when I ended up in in the psychiatric facility. But know your faults, know your areas that you need to grow in, but also please, please, please sit down and recognize your strengths Mm -hmm. and and what what you do well. Um, But but I lost sight of that. And again, that's why it's a gift because I was able to get that back to go, okay, (laughs) you know, you're not a perfect human being, but you're a pretty darn good guy and you've been a very good father. And you lost sight of that. Yeah, and it was ta- it was taken away from you. I mean, but but gaslighting, I mean, it's powerful. And again, the mistake I made is when you when they isolate you, that's what they want to do. They want to isolate you from family and friends, back you into a corner. And I lost all sense of objectivity. Had I had somebody involved, a friend, a family member, a colleague, a confidant, somebody, somebody, an outside objective person, could have said, "No, man." that's not you there's something going on with her um that I didn't do I didn't have that because I didn't I didn't let anybody in until after you know I'd been committed to a psych facility
0: yeah and I know you you believe strongly in that now the importance of uh family and friends and things such as that so you know if you're going through <laughs> something like this and uh, you know you're listening right now get some people around you that know you and that care about you and they can you know, help you see the reality of a situation. Uh, very important. You know, you're writing this book, uh, not only to be vulnerable and help other people through abusive
1: situations, but, uh, you got a couple other causes that you're
0: fighting for. Can you share about them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm trying to take, um, I'm trying to do some good with a very awful evil situation. And so I've committed to, uh, I'd really like to support two, two nonprofit foundations. One of them is the, uh, an endowment fund for First Lieutenant Austin Schilling, um, young man, decorated military, um, that sadly lost his battle with the struggle with PTSD. He took his own life at the age of 26. And there's, then there's the Mercy Center for Women. It's for abused, abused women, but it's also for women that have fallen prey to drug addiction and homelessness and so forth, so on. And they're doing great work in getting these ladies and their kids that live with them, um, you know, back on their feet and helping them to restore a little bit of foundation in their lives. So I'm looking to do some, I'm looking to do some good with it. I really am. So I, I appreciate the opportunity, any opportunity, like to be a guest on your podcast, just to, just to get the word out there.
0: No, that, those are great causes. And, uh, you know, it's awesome to know that when a person goes and purchases this book, you know, maybe you want to purchase it for yourself. Maybe you want to share it with someone else who you think that's going through a difficult time. Uh, these are the causes that you're supporting. Uh, what's the best way for people to go and purchase the book? Is it just Amazon or is there? No, uh, no. You
1: know, <coughs> it's <coughs> Excuse me. It's available everywhere. If folks are interested in signed copies of the book, they can get signed copies through ballast books. That's B-A-L-L-A-S-T books. It's available at Amazon, Target, Walmart, all of your Barnes and Noble, all of your major retail uh, on- online outlets. There's an ebook and there's also an audio book that I narrated from uh, the closet in my home here. <laughs>
0: oh, really? How about that? That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Um so final words then uh you know one of course i, I definitely want you to share how people can follow you and you know just kind of follow your journey um maybe there's a website you'd like them to go to but you know any any other things that uh you know you just hope uh, for the people that
1: read this book um, yeah for me uh, what, what got really we haven't talked about it yet but um and I know you're big into fitness. I know that's another one of your causes. And and um, fitness saved my life and saved my sanity. I mean, so early on, it was very dark, four or five years. I had been working out, but once I started losing all the weight and, you know, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be honest to admit that I was self-medicating way too much at times, not drugs, but alcohol. Yeah. And eventually I had to put the bottle down and um, at least long enough to go for a walk. And I started walking just to get my strength back 25 to 30 miles a week and then was able to get back into the gym. So fitness helped me to clear my head. Fitness helped me to think through what my strategy was going to be, um, you know, from a legal perspective, because we had a couple of long legal journeys. She filed domestic violence charges against me. We'd end up in court for an alimony trial so forth, so on. So I would say family, faith and fitness, really. Um mm. I, I leaned on God. I made God more of a priority in my life. Um, when, when it got when things got real bad, I would find a church no matter where I was, no matter what the denomination was. I just needed to be able to sit in the quiet and comfort and just reflect. Um, and so I, I leaned on my faith and, and I've learned to make him more of a priority. And so that's that's why I feel compelled and called to do some good with it. And to take the daggers that come from the the haters out there, the question is to question what my motives are, but it's fine. They're complete strangers. So it doesn't matter to me.
0: Yeah. Family, faith, and fitness. That's really good. Yeah. That's some really good encouragement. And, you know, you might be listening out there right now and you might be doing some of your own self-medicating, but, you know, you have an opportunity to either be a victim or be a victor. And when we start embracing positive things in life, like family, faith, fitness, uh, you know, good changes start to happen. You know, you, you just can't put those kind of things in your life without starting to see a positive change. So that's some great encouragement. And JD, if people want to, uh, you know,
1: maybe connect with you or follow you or whatever, you know, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, the website is thirdgift.com because the third gift was taken, but Instagram, Facebook, and the infamous TikTok, it's uh, the third gift at, at the third gift.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for sharing your time and and thank you for sharing your third
1: gift with us. Thank you, well, Travis. I can't I can't thank you enough. And I applaud you for what you're trying to do. And I applaud you for your strength and your courage and your vulnerability as well. So it's been a pleasure.
0: Uh, great job being an overcomer. Thank you. Thank you.